Please pray with me. Our Lord, our Father, we dedicate ourselves now to hear your word, to be cleansed by your spirit, and to be shown the path of true life. We ask that through your spirit you would illuminate your word to us, that you would work your great and deep salvation in our hearts and lives, and that you would teach us true things from it, that we would be more convinced of our need to pray, more convinced of the graces that you have to offer us when we pray, and uh, more convinced of your power at work in prayer. Be with us now at this time. Uh, Set apart this uh, short, brief moment of time in our week and speak to us. Let us hear your voice this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's a new year, and this Sunday we're beginning a new sermon series on prayer, like our brother Mark said. I think all of us have high hopes for 2021 after a kind of crazy year last year in 2020, and so I can't think of anything more important for us to study and to talk about than prayer. I've entitled this series, Teach Us to Pray, because that is one of the best questions the disciples ever asked Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so this morning and in the coming weeks, we're going to be asking God the same thing. Teach us to pray. Uh, In the first half of the series, we're going to be looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer, praying through the Lord's Prayer. Each week, we're going to be looking at, like Mark said, a clause of the Lord's Prayer to let that deepen and enrich our prayer lives, to have Jesus' teaching on prayer guide us. He is the master teacher, and we are his disciples. And so it's important for us to ask our master teacher, teach us to pray, and he does in Matthew 6. So we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer in the first half of our series. And then after that, we're going to move into the Psalms as we pray through life. So the first half, praying through the Lord's Prayer. The second half, praying through life. We're going to be moving into the Psalms to see how God's Word directs our prayer through all sorts of different life experiences. And so we're going to look at praying through joy, praying through anger, grief, doubt, uh, fear, and guilt, and things like that. My prayer is that this entire series will help us to be more active in prayer. I want us to take up prayer as a serious lifelong habit that we carve out time for in the week, that we make time for in our daily lives, and also make part of our regular conversation with God. So I I hope that it's not only something that we make time for throughout the week, but also something that we find ourselves spontaneously doing. As we look at prayer with new eyes, may we, my prayer is is for, for me and for us, may we Uh, learn how to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. One of the great dangers, I think, in teaching on prayer or preaching on prayer is that the pastor can treat it kind of like a dry subject and not a matter of incredibly deep significance to our Christian walk, to our quality of life, uh, even the state of our world. Prayer is vital for the Christian life and for Christian mission, but it's easy to treat it like kind of a, some, some same old advice every week, maybe like a weary doctor saying, now just remember to take your vitamins. Uh, the advice kind of gets dry after a while, and that kind of leads to another danger in preaching on prayer, is that the congregation gets tired of it. 
uh, that, that you all will get tired of hearing week in and week out about prayer. Like I said in my sermon last September on prayer, I think many of us have a lot of guilt when we think about our prayer lives. Some of us have deep resentment toward God. Uh, maybe for one reason or another, but oftentimes if it includes some sort of unanswered prayer that we've been calling out to God for for a short period of time or for years, maybe we have some deep resentment towards God. And so whenever we talk about prayer, it kind of re-engages those old wounds. Or for others, maybe you've been praying for decades, and so maybe you feel like there's not much for you to learn about prayer. And so how are we going to avoid these dangers together over the next several weeks? On my end, I'm going to try not to just make every sermon yet again a just pray more. Uh, I'm going to try to avoid saying that every single week we'll just pray more. Uh, although at times, of course, I'll need to say, you know, just, just pray more. But I'm going to try to enter into prayer and God's word to look at why we pray and how we pray. And then on your end, my, my request is that over the next several weeks that you be open to learning more about prayer and maybe that you would even be pushed to praying more. And if in the course of this series hard emotions come up, then I say, let them come up. Let the hard emotions rise to the surface so that we can deal with them together. Be honest with yourself over the next several weeks so that you can grow. My main question for us this morning is, who are you as a prayer? Who are you as a prayer? What are your habits and hang-ups about prayer? Because once you know these, once you have them in mind, you can figure out the best strategy for growing in prayer. As we'll see in our text this morning, prayer is vitally important. We cannot ignore prayer. But in order for us to learn this lesson, we need to confront the biggest obstacles to our prayers, our lack of faith. Our lack of faith in prayer is the biggest obstacle, biggest hurdle that we have to engaging this vitally important task. But there's not just challenge for us this morning. Our text also brings us comfort. There is hope for those of us who struggle with prayer. Jesus gives us faith. Jesus gives us the faith that we need to pray, no matter who you are as a prayer. And if we did a survey around here, raise your hand if you're a perfect prayer, no one would raise their hand. And if I said raise your hand if you're an imperfect prayer, all of us should raise our hand. So no matter who you are as a prayer, Jesus will give you the faith to pray. So let's look now to the scriptures to receive our first lesson in prayer from the master teacher, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9. Uh, as we launch into our series on prayer, Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. Please hear with me God's word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Brothers and sisters, thus far in the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Our story in Mark chapter 9 begins on the heels of Jesus' transfiguration. You probably remember that story if you spent some amount of time in the Gospels. Jesus went up on a mountain with a few of his disciples, and before their very eyes, his heavenly divine glory was revealed. We studied last week how Jesus is the God-man, the fully divine, fully human, all-in-one, and so usually the disciples just saw his human form, but in the moment of the transfiguration, all of a sudden they saw his divine glory showing forth. His clothes became intensely white. The glory of God was showing all around them. Just like Moses on the mountain, they saw a glimpse of God's glory when they looked at Jesus. And just like Moses on the mountain... At the bottom of the mountain, the people were having a crisis of faith. Jesus and the few disciples return to, the, to see the rest of the disciples in this mob, arguing with the scribes. The scribes were a group of people who devoted themselves to studying the law, studying the scriptures. And so Jesus, he kind of breaks through the mob, he comes to the aid of his disciples, and he asks the scribes a pretty pointed question, why are you arguing with them? Well, a man from the crowd answers, I brought my son to you. He's sick. He's possessed by an evil spirit. You weren't here. And so I asked your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't. I'm sure this would be a mortifying moment for the disciples to see their weakness on display before everyone and especially before their teacher. Imagine being a football quarterback and you're being mobbed by a group of reporters after failing to complete the potentially game-winning touchdown pass, and then you have to have the coach intervene for you. I'm sure that that wouldn't feel good. And just like the disciples uh, probably felt, they, they were probably very confused 
They were probably embarrassed. They were probably discouraged. This was a matter of life or death for this young boy. And they had cast out demons before. So why not now? Jesus tells them later, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Why couldn't they drive the demon out? Apparently, they didn't pray. Something that was so simple and yet so important. What is prayer? What's prayer? Well, the Westminster Catechism gave us a good answer. I'm going to give you another answer that works. Here's here's my working definition of prayer. It's accessing God's presence and power by asking in faith. Prayer is accessing God's presence and power by asking in faith. Now, before we unpack that, let's ask another related question. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray for God's presence and power because we need God's presence and power. Behind every prayer is a deep need for God. We need his help. We need his presence. At this point in time, we are well acquainted with our need for God. Our study on Ecclesiastes was one demonstration after another about how much we need God. We need God the way a fish needs water. Have you ever seen a fish outside of the water? It's miserable. It can't breathe. It's aching to be back in the water, and that's how we feel when we are separated from God. Every one of our actions is motivated in part by a quest to find satisfaction in God. We are all going through life craving God. Last week, I spent some time analyzing my Christmas wish list. It had the usual items that you could expect. It had some books on there, some gift cards, uh, and some of those things. But after some reflection, looking through those things, here's what I realized. Do you know what I really wanted for Christmas? I wanted God. I I wanted God for Christmas. The things that I had asked for were aimed at bringing some sort of knowledge or enlightenment or comfort or excitement, desires that find their ultimate home in God. Now, the gifts weren't bad. They were just insufficient to give me what I really wanted. I wanted God. That's what we all really want. We, again, go through life craving God behind every decision, everything that we do. It's a desire to find God. The very best of any Christmas gift gives us a small taste of our communion with him. And the Christmas blues takes over when we see how little in life life actually delivers those moments of transcendence. We need, we crave God, and so we need to pray. Prayer is how we access God's presence and power. When I was growing up, one of my favorite treats was a trip to Pizza Hut for their lunch buffet. Uh, I would be so hungry and so excited about having endless pizza, but there was just one catch as a young boy. It was intimidating to go through the line myself. And so when I was done with my plate of pizza, I would want more pizza, but I would wait until someone could take me through the line. And, and I could, could just hear my parents saying, it's right there. Just go get it. You don't need us to go with you. Just go get it. The pizza that you want is right over there. Just take some. And it's like that with God. We are offered amazing promises in the gospel. Forgiveness 
life with God, God's presence, God's power. We just need to take it. And that's where prayer comes in. According to John Calvin, we dig up by prayer the treasures that were pointed out by the Lord's gospel. That's what Calvin says. It's like Jesus has given us a map to buried treasure. All of those gospel promises, we just need to dig up the treasure, and we do this by asking in faith. Prayer is accessing God's presence and power by asking in faith. That's it. Now, unlike the back-breaking labor of digging up treasure from the ground, it's actually relatively easy. We just ask in faith to have our needs met. But even this is too much at times. There was a very clear need for God's presence and power that day in Israel. This child needed God to intervene. The disciples needed God to use them powerfully. The need was there... They just didn't ask. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. So why don't we pray? What keeps us from digging up these gospel treasures? Now, I don't mean to suggest that we never pray. I just think that prayer is something that we all struggle with. J.I. Packer says that prayer is probably the most natural thing we can do. Again, think about a fish. The most natural thing it can do is be in the water. We are created in God's image. The most natural thing we could do would be to call out to our Heavenly Father, but because of our sin, it is rarely the easiest thing to do. It might be natural, but for us as fallen creatures, it is not easy. Ask the most dedicated prayer that you know. He or she will tell you that it took careful and hard work to develop a habit of prayer, and it took even more effort to maintain that habit. Even the best of us struggle to keep prayer central in our lives. Why is that? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 19, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? We don't pray because we lack faith. That's why we don't pray. We lack faith. You cannot pray without faith. Prayer is accessing God's presence and power by asking in faith. Now, I think that lack of faith looks different depending on the person. And so we all need to ask ourselves, where am I faithless in prayer? Our passage gives us a couple of options couple of caricatures for us to consider. For most of us, we either act like the disciples or we act like the scribes. We move between faithless presumption and faithless doubt. In a novel that I'm reading, one of the characters is a witch and she meets some angels. I know it sounds a little weird, but just go with me on this. So this witch meets some angels, these amazing heavenly beings, and she is struck by how awesome these creatures are. And she says, angels, take me to meet this other character in the book. And then they do. She's amazed that they obey her, that they follow her request. And so she tries again, angels, be my honor guard and escort me in glory into this city so that everyone can see how splendid I am. And again, they do. 
She begins to feel euphoric at this point in time. She can command heavenly beings. But in reality, as the book shows, the angels were not under her power. She didn't control them at all. They were simply willing to help. She was being incredibly presumptuous. The disciples show faithless presumption, just like this character in that novel. The disciples had an inflated sense of their own power. They presumed upon their past successes. We've cast out demons before. Surely we can do it again. But they forgot that they were only successful in their previous ventures because of God's blessing. They lost faith in God, and they transferred their faith to themselves. It was all about them. Maybe you have prayed for years and you start to think that maybe God owes you something. Or maybe God has answered many of your prayers and you've grown to think that you have a particular in with him. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that emphasized certain people having a certain gift of prayer and you feel like maybe you're a more powerful prayer than others because of something special about you. Or maybe you just don't think that God has that much to offer you. And if so, you may struggle with faithless presumption, forgetting that every time you pray, you need to ask in faith. For others, you might struggle to ask at all. Evelyn Dever is one of the main characters in the movie The Incredibles 2. Hopefully some of you have seen it. She carries around a profound grief and anger toward superheroes. Her father, as you hear throughout the movie, was murdered because he put his trust in the supers. And so she's not going to make the same mistake. So she's out to bring them down to prove that she doesn't need them. That's like the scribes in the story. The scribes show faithless doubt. They're only there to criticize and scrutinize. The scribes knew the Old Testament incredibly well. They knew the Psalms that were asking God for help, these Old Testament prayers asking God to come to their aid, and yet they didn't lift a finger to help this child in need. They were only there to cast doubt on Jesus. They could have asked him to help, but they didn't believe that it would do any good. Maybe you feel burned by prayer. Maybe in the past you begged God to do something and he didn't, and now you're not sure if you can trust him. Maybe you've lost faith that God will actually give you good things or that he desires your flourishing. Maybe you think that in the face of all of the problems that our world has, Maybe you think that prayer actually might not make that much of a difference. Can prayer really work for a world as broken as ours? Or maybe you were presumptuous at one point in time and you were humbled just like the disciples were humbled, but now you find your confidence shaken. Maybe you think that you just don't have the gift of prayer like maybe some of those other people. Or maybe little by little you've just stopped praying. If prayer is our fundamental way of having our deep need met, again, our deep need for God is met through prayer, then neither faithless presumption nor faithless doubt will help us. You need to know, who are you in prayer? 
What temptations toward faithfulness do you have? You have to answer this question. It is the key to life. You may be successful at many things. You may be successful at school or sports or work, but without prayer, you won't have God. And so you need to know what faithlessness looks like in your life. What hindrances do you personally have to prayer? This, again, is the most important part of your identity. Who are you as a prayer? Listen to this quote by Robert Murray McShane. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. That's sobering, isn't it? What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. If prayer is the sum of who we are, And as Jesus tells us that we all lack faith, then we need help. We need help. Prayer is how we access God's presence and power by asking in faith. And if our main obstacle is lack of faith, then we need God to give us faith. What hope can we have to actually make progress in our prayer lives? Jesus gives us faith. Jesus gives us the faith we need to pray. This isn't like the TV show Survivor, where only the most gritty, skilled, daring, and tough people win the prize. No, remember, Christianity, it's all about grace, not works. God gives us everything that we need. And in prayer, he gives us everything that we need to become better prayers. Our hope for prayer comes from Christ, Jesus is God's presence and power in the flesh. Wherever Jesus is, God's presence and power are there too. At the transfiguration, the disciples saw God's glory, his presence and power in Jesus. And then when they came down off the mountain in the crowd, the crowd saw it too. Verse 15, immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him. Why were they greatly amazed? He hadn't even done anything yet. He just showed up. Well, they were greatly amazed because they sensed God's presence and power in him. There was something about Jesus that communicated God's glory. And as God's presence and power in the flesh, Jesus strengthens our faith. For those who struggle with faithless presumption, Jesus shows his superiority. He is God, and we are not clearly There's a difference between Jesus and the disciples. Clearly, when we think about our prayers, it's because God is graciously working his power in us through prayer, not because of our own eloquence, not because of our own words. Jesus is God. We are not. He is superior to us, so we ought to have faith in him, not ourselves. For those who struggle with faithless doubts, Jesus shows us God's character of love. He wins over our hearts. He gently coaxes us to trust in him. He shows us that God cares about our prayers. Look at who Jesus is in this passage. Jesus is patient. 
he says that, that he will bear with us. He bears with us to the end. Even though this was clearly a frustrating scenario for him, he bears with us all throughout the Gospels up until the crucifixion. He dies for his faithless disciples and is raised again for our life. He's compassionate. Jesus is compassionate about our suffering. He's very compassionate with his father who cries out for compassion. Jesus gives compassion. He's moved at the suffering of the boy. He's moved at our sufferings, and he assures us of his power. Verse 23, all things are possible for one who believes. And then like the rest of the New Testament bears out, Jesus gives his spirit the divine helper who internally helps us to believe. Whatever version of faithlessness that you tend toward, Jesus can help you. Jesus gives us faith. Jesus helps our unbelief. The text shows us this. Let's go through the text again. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So whose prayer caused the boy to be healed? If this kind only comes out through prayer, it must have been someone praying. So whose prayer caused the boy to be healed? I used to think that it was Jesus' prayer. The disciples didn't pray. Jesus did pray. And that's why Jesus was able to cast the demons out. But that's not the right answer. This text is not comparing the disciples' lack of prayer with Jesus' prayer. This text is contrasting the prayerless actions of the disciples with the desperate prayer of the Father. Pay attention to the narrative. Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes, and the Father immediately responds, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the only real prayer in this text. And in response to that prayer, the presence and power of God in the flesh moves to answer it. Jesus then heals the boy. The father is the one who prays. The one who named his doubt and asked for help is the one whose prayers were effective. Jesus answered the father's prayer for faith. Jesus enabled him to believe. What is our hope for prayer? It's Jesus. Jesus gives us the faith to pray so that we can access God. So let's recap a little bit briefly. What does this passage teach us about prayer? First, it shows us what prayer is. Prayer is accessing the presence and power of God by asking in faith. Second, it shows us our primary challenge in prayer, our lack of faith. And finally, it shows us our only hope for change, Jesus. Jesus gives us faith so that we can pray effectively. How can we put this into practice? Well, this week, here's how I want you to put it into practice. Know where you're starting from and start to make a change. Know where you're starting from and start to make a change. It's the turn of the year. Many of us are going about the process of New Year's resolutions. Lots of us desire to make some changes in life. It's impossible to make any progress in our goals without asking first, where are we starting from? If you're going to ask any instructor to help you in any of your New Year's resolutions, any good instructor is first going to assess your baseline. 
before asking you to make the change, pushing you in a certain direction. So if you want to get in shape, where are you starting from in terms of fitness? Do you want to learn the violin? Where are you starting from in terms of music? And so in prayer, where are you starting from? Where are you starting from in prayer? Who are you as a prayer? Do you think that prayer is actually necessary for you? Or is prayer something that only super spiritual Christians do? Where do you struggle with faith? Is it faithless presumption? Faithless doubt? Or something else entirely? Know where you're starting from. And once you have that baseline, start to make a change. Ask God for the faith you need. Jesus gives us the faith to pray, but we need to ask him. Earlier this year, Jack Stoof, a 32-year-old medical student, made headlines because he had found buried treasure. Kind of a cool thing to have happen in 2020. Someone found buried treasure. A man named Forrest Fenn had hidden a treasure chest worth about a million dollars somewhere out in the Rocky Mountains. And he had left clues for its location, inviting people to go on a treasure hunt to find it. Apparently, he enjoyed the idea of these old school treasure hunts. And so he left a million dollars hidden somewhere with all of these clues to go and find it. And when Jack Stoof heard about this treasure hunt, he was hooked. He was struggling with his direction in life. Uh, He had had a couple of different careers. At this point in time, he was uh, partway through medical school, but he was spinning his wheels. He had a massive amount of student debt, and so he felt like he needed to become a doctor in order to actually pay pay off those loans. But his desire to be a doctor was long gone. Didn't have any any desire to do it anymore, so he felt stuck. In his words, finding this treasure chest was a lifeline. He needed it to get out of his circumstances. And so he devoted countless hours, over two years, pouring over everything Forrest Fenn had written, every interview that he had ever given. It was a ton of hard work, but eventually it paid off for him. He found the treasure. Friends, the treasure that we are being offered in prayer far outweighs a treasure chest with gold and jewels. The treasure that we're offered in prayer is the chance to get rich in God, to experience his presence, to experience his power in your daily life. This is the lifeline that we need this year. We need to pray. And it is far easier than finding any hidden treasure but it's going to force you to do something hard. It's going to force you to admit something that we would rather not admit, that you lack faith. We all lack faith. We all need help, but thankfully, God meets that need. He gives us the faith we need to pray. And so this year, make it a goal to pursue the treasures of God through prayer. It's hard work, but it will pay off you will find the treasures of the gospel, the presence and power of God himself. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now for your presence and power. We ask that you would help us to improve in prayer, to become more quick to pray, 
to spend longer times in prayer and also more spontaneous times in prayer as well. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray so that we can dig up the treasures of the gospel and experience them in our life. Teach us to pray so that we can see you face to face. Teach us to pray so that we can delight in your presence and so that we can glorify you all our days. We ask that you would do all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.